Today on The Watch, Andy and I talk about what we are excited for in 2018 in the absence of Game of Thrones, which is moving to 2019. We also preview the Golden Globes and talk a little bit about some of the races we're looking at there and going forward in the award season. We discuss the first episode of the fourth season of Black Mirror, USS Callister, and then we begin Dark Thursdays, our deep dive into Netflix's awesome new German show. That's right, German show, Dark. We discuss episodes one through three today. It's a new year, same old watch. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk, now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me in the studio, he just got back from the forest of Germany. It's Andy Greenwald! Happy New Year! Woo! We're back. <coughs> Wow. Wow, you okay? Yeah, it was a little scratchy. What's up, man? How are you doing? Guess what, Chris? Happy birthday to us and this podcast. I believe this week or thereabouts is our sixth anniversary of recording podcasts together. Six years since two longtime friends sat down in a studio in Midtown Manhattan and talked about Downton Abbey for like 30 minutes. That was it. And, you know, we knew something special sparked that Were day. Were we sitting on, like, two stools? Two stools. A Broadway sound. <laughs> Between two stools. In the Brill Building. Uh, Happy Greenwald. to be back for yeah, another year. Yeah, man. 2018, and we have a full slate of stuff to talk about. Um, today is Thursday. For all the Thursdays, for the next few Thursdays, we're yes. going to be doing Dark Thursdays. We had mentioned this show a little bit. Hashtag it. A couple days ago, like a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. we had mentioned that you'd watch the, the first episode. I think I, I then checked it out shortly afterwards. And I'm smitten. You're smitten. I'm excited. It's a Netflix show. Uh, it's it's German. I'm not going to lie to you. Stop beating around the bush. You yeah. remember the way foreign trailers would always just have silence, basically, yes. to, and then you'd get there and it was in Taiwanese? <laughs> By the way, that's cool. Yeah. Just admit it. This, move, this show is German. This bad boy is in German. You can watch it dubbed on Netflix. But you shouldn't. I'd recommend the... This, I would recommend you do the subtitles. You do that straight Deutsche. <laughs> yeah, I go no subtitles, so I have no idea what's happening on <laughs> it's this It's very atmospheric, though. <laughs> no, it's a great show. We're going to talk about that for most of this episode and like the second half. We're also going to hit the first episode of Black Mirror. Obviously, for a comprehensive look at this Black Mirror season, you can listen to Binge Mode, which dropped earlier today. They did the entire bit, I think. I also just want to say that this is... At the end of last year, we did a couple. We had a couple conversations talking about the challenges and opportunities of covering television in this just overflowing age. Yeah. and this is what we felt worked for us last year was the way we did Stranger Things, which was breaking it up into basically chapters. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to try this going forward with a bunch of shows as they come up. We are going to chapter watch shows together, probably on Thursdays. We're going to let you know in advance. Good Doctor. Um, <laughs> just we're going to finally, finally crack. We're going to go back. We're going to binge mode Good Doctor season one. What do you know about SWAT on CBS? What do you know about what Hondo's been up to? I don't to? acknowledge anything that deviates from Colin Farrell canon. I completely agree with you on that. So so we're excited about that. And that we'll discuss as the week's going on what's going to be next in the Thursday slot, but it's Dark Thursdays for January, one through three today, four, five, and six next week. Yeah, and then we'll probably finish it up depending on how we feel about the finale. Mm -hmm. We'll wait, you know, so I've actually, I think I've watched a little bit ahead of three, but we're not going to spoil or talk about anything that happens past the third episode. Okay, so that's today. We're also going to talk about the USS Callister episode of Black Mirror, the first episode of the fourth season that came out. What, right before New Year's? I, I lost track, but yes, at yes. the end of the year. We're going to talk a little Golden Globes preview. We're going to talk right? a little Golden Globes, but Andy, before we, we did, before we recorded, we just got a little bit of news uh, that um, we're going to have a little time on our hands this summer. Yes. I think we knew yeah, that, that Game was, of Thrones was not coming back until 2019, but HBO confirmed it today. Yes. A six-episode season to finish the series will come 
in 2019. If I, if you had to have a best guess, mm-hmm. are you saying Q1, Q2, summer? I think the thing to remember is, holy shit, they need to make this happen. So it's going to happen as soon as possible. This is not the kind of thing they're going to be holding for blockbuster season. My guess is uh, late Q1. My guess is sliding oh, okay. back into the original Game of Thrones slot, which tended to be... Um, Wintry. Well, the end of March, April yeah. was when the first few seasons premiered before it shifted to summer. So that would be my guess. Although we have no way of knowing, and we don't know if they're going to get cute and precious with the the editing and the the, the tinkering. Um, but everyone kind of knew this was coming because there was they a needed. Rumor going around winter. that they were waiting to decide on the spinoff. That's possible too. Look, here's my here's my. This plays into my 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 slate pitch. My kind of hot take on this. Oh, okay. My counterintuitive. You ready for this? Yeah. I don't think this is really a bad thing for anyone involved, particularly HBO, because obviously HBO always wants to be broadcasting Game of Thrones. It is the most popular show in the world. Anybody wants that. Sure. And as we've talked about many times, it is a culture. It sucks all the culture attention to it. It, yeah. it draws in Last all the kind. oxygen. Yeah. Um, until this final season airs, HBO still has the most popular show on television. Until this final season airs, they can use the fact that they have it in the chamber as um, an incentive to continue to pay for uh, your subscription to the service, you can use this to dole out um, trailers and use it as a promotional tool for their other programs. Yeah, you know, attach a trailer before they debut um, whatever new shows are coming later in the year that I didn't research beforehand. A uh, Barry, for example, the new yeah. um, uh, Bill Hader comedy. You're, which is you're really. A I'm total waiting fit. for you to acknowledge Stephen Dorff and True Detective season three. There may even be a third season. <laughs> Of True Detective featuring Blade's own <laughs> Stephen Dorff. Yeah. Um, look, you, that actually is a great point because as long as Game of Thrones is still coming, HBO is the Game of Thrones network. And they don't have to shift to being, whether it's the Westworld network or maybe it's the True Detective network again. And to the point that you made, this gives them time to decide which of the five commissioned pilot scripts they want to announce as the spinoff. So they are just ready to go. I would go. be shocked if there was not a trailer, like just a teaser mm-hmm. for the spinoff at the end of the last season of Game of Thrones. I think like that would coming be... coming this year or coming early next 2020. Production-wise, that might be really tricky, but... Just like a shot. Just like... Just Something. like a dude coming around a mountain. You know They'll I mean? have news. You're right. I mean, they will have cast Just someone. Put, They'll have put decided. A, put an animal skin on a guy and have him, like, hanging out on the Matterhorn. Weirdly, it gives them continuity, and it helps. I For the podcast business, it's a blow. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie to you. It, 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 it's a blow. Is it? So here's what we wanted to ask. In the absence of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. which is NBD, we'll get over it. Mm-hmm. What is... Give me, like, a show that you are super excited about for 2018 that you think we'll talk about. Obviously, the show that I think many people are excited about is Atlanta's finally coming back for season two. Yeah. That took a year off. and We're it, all good. It's just, we made it through 2017. We, barely. Yeah. But that, the heart grows fonder. Um, obviously, I'm excited for the final season of The Americans coming up. I'm sure that's going to in some way fill the pop culture void left by, left by Game of Thrones. Sure. But, you know, there's some other... This is gonna. This is a year in general with some really big swings, especially from the uh, the streaming services trying to create to generate excitement. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have another American Crime Story coming on FX. The Versace story we have not 
checked out the screeners for that yet, but we're going to talk about it at some point. Um, but Castle Rock on Hulu, the Stephen yes. King anthology, we don't really know what that is, but it's kind of interesting. Hulu also has The Looming Tower, the big like history of... Lawrence Wright's book about the what led up to 9-11. The path leading to 9-11. I mean, these are, it's, it's going to be a year of big swings, sharp, sharp objects on HBO too, the, the Gillian Flynn adaptation. Yeah. So none of these are like Game of Thrones worthy, but we are not going to be in short supply for big ticket events to hopefully get collectively excited about. I, I noticed that you did not mention uh, Amazon's Jack Ryan. That's not, I'm not going to hold it against you. Oh, that's true. Also, th- there's a Coen Brothers TV show, yes. TV show in quotes, coming on Netflix. An anthology Western series coming from the Coen Brothers. Ballad Buster Scruggs. Also, Maniac from my buddy Patrick Somerville and Carrie Fukunaga. Who I thought you were going to say my buddy Jonah Hill. That would have been funny. My man, Jay Hill, uh, and the goddess Emma Stone. You know, I love culture from the Brits. I love... You do? Yeah. Our, uh, to go back across the pond... And just dig up the nuggets. That sounds, and, uh, that sounds so gross. <laughs> it sounds like I work in the Pine Barrens. It sounds like you're a truffle hunter. <laughs> I really know. I'm, I'm a big fan of British TV generally. And I recently came across this new show called McMafia, which is on BBC. Uh, it is about a British man, young, handsome man, uh, played by James Norton, who I believe is on Downton Abbey. Uh, you can who, just assume if there is a young, handsome British actor, he probably he was passed. He was a footman. Yeah. He uh, is a hedge fund, works at a hedge fund, and mm-hmm. also his uncle and father are in the Russian mafia. And That's they cool. were forced to move to London by the Kremlin, who mm-hmm. apparently are not chill, uh, and some other Russian heroin dealers. <laughs> don't, don't pretend like we don't all know that now. It's <laughs> yeah. 2018. FYI. <laughs> Kremlin's not chill. Nope. Um, this is a really cool show. It's very, very much like uh, Honorable Woman, which was a big... Yes, it was uh, a big show for us. A big show for us. And this is written by Hossein Amini, who wrote uh, the screenplay for Drive and Snow White and the Huntsman. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. Hey, man, you got to work. Really well written, really well done, just very compelling, very shiny. Like, there's just like a level of prestige that like and quality that sometimes comes along with these that I think I maybe just am like adding on as an illusion because of the accents. <laughs> but it was really it's, great. I watched happens. the first one. Uh, through quasi-legal means the mm. other day via BBC, and mm. uh, it, I think it's coming to AMC in the summer, so keep an eye out for that. It's like Mafia. This is a year, I mean, if, if you look at the top 10 lists that, that, we, that we came up with that Sam Esmail mocked mercilessly, yeah. there were a lot of things on both our lists that we would not have expected at the top of the year. No. There's just the volume oh, is yeah. so yeah. extreme. American but, Vandal, we would never have suggested. Like, who who could have guessed American Vandal would have come out of there? You know. But I I also am into this, not to toot our own horns, but I, I think that this the the sheer the volume of TV, but also the the, the element of surprise is really going to help us with this sort of chapter viewing thing because we can actually take time instead of just constantly throwing stuff at listeners and be like, check this out, check this out, and then forgetting to come back to it. We are going to watch some of this stuff together. Um, this seems like a perfect segue into dark. We're not doing it yet. No, I can't wait to yet. talk about Let's it. talk a little bit about the Globes because they're coming up on Sunday. And yes. it's sort of the, uh, there are other award shows, but this one is the drunkest, the most convivial, the mm-hmm. most familiar, the most, generally, I think the most televisually pleasing. It's the most fun to watch. Uh, I don't know whether or not that's going to be the case this year. Obviously, a lot has changed in Hollywood in the mm-hmm. year since the last Golden Globes. But uh, I just kind of wanted to ask you a couple of questions about mm-hmm. how you're feeling about some of these debates. To, you know, one of the things with the Globes is because they divide things into best picture drama, best picture comedy mm-hmm. or musical. You don't necessarily get the pure spring training of what the Oscar best picture is going to be. No, but it's pretty remarkable that two years in a row, Hollywood has given us just pure, pure classic musicals yeah. like we used to make. Uh, La La Land and Get Out. <laughs> just, <laughs> just one of the best It's just musicals. like the 60s again. It's like American Paris. Um, but do we have a best picture duel yet? Because in the drama category, you're starting to hear more and more about Dunkirk versus The Post. 
Uh, and in this comedy musical category, mm-hmm. Lady Bird and Get Out. I would assume that all four of those movies will get Best Picture nominations. Although there has been mm-hmm. some, co- there's been a little bit of a like, Get Out is not actually I, as I seriously would, a contender as, as I would maybe not we think. be surprised if one of those two smaller movies that you mentioned, Lady Bird and Get Out, which to and my Call mind, Me by Your Name would also be in the mix here. Although I, I'm. I'm not necessarily putting it in the Dunker versus the Post. Race. I think Call, Call Me By Your Name is in the mix and will get a Best Picture nomination. I think, to my mind, Lady Bird and Get Out are the two best movies of the year. I would, I think one of them might not get a Best Picture nomination. Okay. I think one will. I don't know which. I just have a feeling about that. Um, it's interesting. I think the, the Globes are less effective predictors of the state of the Oscar race um, than... The, I think they, I think the Globes are more have more influence on the TV races and mm-hmm. the TV prominence actually than they do in terms of the movies because, as we always have to say when we discuss the Golden Globes, they are voted on by a shadowy cabal of international figures who have zero to no credibility whatsoever and can clearly be bought off by bribery or flattery or both. I'm glad that you remembered that. That's your that's your line. It's that's just that should just always be. <laughs> Here's the six an years asterisk. of you saying that. <laughs> it should just be an asterisk. I shouldn't have to say it, but yeah. look, here I am. Um, that said, it can it it can play a part in momentum in the other races in terms of like the actors in the, in the performance races. Mm-hmm. But I do think the guilds and the critics awards are, are more generally, are, they're a better predictor of the Oscar race. Um, but I think that what you're speaking to, look, I mean, the movie races, the Oscar races in general for the last decade have been divided between the, the big movies that feel like Oscar movies mm-hmm. and the other smaller movies that might be quote unquote better. What's interesting this year um, and I think we're not going to see it reflected in the Golden Globes because, as you said, they're separated by category. Is this creeping sense of conservative backlash among some voters that's being covered on Hollywood blogs? And Mark Harris is talking about oh. this a lot on Twitter, where it's not just that people are saying Get Out isn't among uh, the best Oscar movies of the year, movie, yeah. but they are saying, no. We we did this last year, and that we were politically correct last year, and that we as if giving Best Picture to Moonlight was some act of charity. Yeah, I saw something and, that was I think on Hollywood Elsewhere. There was like an interview yes. with a producer who was just like, I don't put Get Out in the same category as like Twelve Years a Slave, as if any movie starring or made by black it, people has to somehow be in this. Where you wouldn't say that about you know it, it's the wor- post it, it, and it's troubling, yeah. and it also speaks to the kind of insidious, not capital. Our racism or or um, capital M misogyny or whatever you want to talk about it that 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 exists in otherwise left wing Hollywood. I mean, to me, the experience of seeing Dunkirk and what it did to me emotionally and visually is comparable to what Get Out did to me emotionally mm-hmm. and just and and how I felt while watching that movie. They were both masterpieces of. Um, of sensation, yeah. right? Um, Get Out deserves to be there. The thing to remember then at the end of this conversation is Golden Globes are crazy, man. Like, because someone who feels right. like me, who may be a quote-unquote journalist from Belarus and voted, <laughs> maybe that vote That's for Get why, Out pushes like, you, it over the don't top. Don't be surprised if you get to the end of the Sunday night and Shape of Water wins a bunch of awards. Low-key, Shape of Water got the most nominations. Yeah. Maybe so, like, I just d- miss me with Del Toro stuff, but like, you know. It, did you see that movie? I just don't like Beasts, man. You're just not it. That's that also goes on your no list. No cartoons, no, no. Like I'm, in, I'm fascinated by this beast. <laughs> that's not like my vibe. You know what I mean? Like who I cares? It. 
Who cares? It's, it's, it, what you're saying is that's not relevant to your concerns. Yeah. Like, you're not worried if she's falling in love with a fish monster because, like... Or if the fish monster is, like, the key to the Cold War or whatever we got going on What here. if the fish monster's got a soul? I'm, I'm sure just, it does. I mean, spoiler, I guess it does. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> but, so, all right, so... Before we get going, though, because I, I want to get to Black Mirror, I just want to ask you, just real quick, a prediction for best drama. Because it's Crown, Thrones, Stranger Things, Handmaids, This Is Us. Yeah, I just want to say... Obviously, I'm more interested in the in the TV side. Yeah. Um, and in general, like Seth Meyers is hosting. This is going to be an interesting night. It's going to be a fun night. The Golden Globes are much more fun to watch generally than the Emmys or the Oscars. Mm-hmm. The Golden Globes love, love making news. They love making stars. And that generally happens with the TV nominations where what they love to do is get in front. Your man Freddie Highmore about to have his moment then. Impossible. Yeah. Because they nominate shows after four months of being on the air. They have such a jump on the Emmys. So, you know, generally you can pick the winner of these categories by what's new. Um, The Crown won last year and Claire Foy won. Tatiana Maslany won an Emmy last year. She won the Golden Globe. Like the first season of it? In the first season, 2014. So look for that. So like, let's look at this list. Go through the dramas again. Uh, Thrones, Handmaids, uh, Stranger Things, This Is Us, and The Crown. It's actually, I kind of respect the fact that the Globes were totally stymied with drama again this year. I just gave that whole spiel about like some celebrating the new, and right. it's barely here. And they were ultimately, the, the, they got scooped by the Emmys on Handmaids. Handmaids might win here too because of groupthink at this point. Sure. What's interesting to me, go to comedy. And it's blackish, marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you know, Greenwald approved show, <laughs> Master of None, Smilf on Showtime, which had aired, I think, three episodes when it got sure. nominated, and Will and Grace. I love this. This is crazy. Right. I, what deserves to win here? I mean, frankly, okay, forget Will and Grace, but the other ones are all really good, interesting shows, and there is no clear front runner. Who is the sh- who who is the Golden Globes going to anoint as a star this year? Highmore. I'm not kidding, man. No, I, I of course, because that's the other thing to remember. That show is crazy popular. It's super popular. It's super popular. Um, it's also just nice to see because as much as this stuff doesn't matter, the thing about the Globes is, look, Maggie Gyllenhaal is nominated for The Deuce. Kyle MacLachlan's nominated for Twin Peaks. Um, Top of the Lake China Girl is nominated here. I mean, this is pretty wild. Who do you, do you have any um, outside the box, like who do you think is going to get up on that stage? Because look at the performance by an actress in a comedy. Pamela Adlon for Better Things, Alison Brie for Glow, Rachel Brosnahan for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Issa Rae for Insecure, Frankie Shaw for Smilf. The internet made this category. Yeah. Like, this is hashtag, this is hashtag Twitter right here. I, I, this is just a fool's errand to pick Golden Globes. I just have no idea what screeners this 87-year-old, like, exactly. Hungarian person managed to get into, like, their CD-ROM drive. So, mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. And I also don't know, like, what backstage kind of, like... They've been doing like a really good for your consideration campaign. Who, who who went and had lunch with these people? I'm gonna say I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make I'll throw out Pamela Adlin. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, it just depends if she did the if she did the the lunches. You know what I mean? Right. Um, do you think if you look at like best performance by an actor in a drama? Mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. Daniel Day Lewis, Tom Hanks, Gary Oldman, Denzel Washington. So here's what it. That, this is breaking down. It's it it sort of technically should be DDL A because that's the best performance of the year, and B because it's his last mm-hmm. one. It's Oldman's time, mm-hmm. and Chalamet is definitely like the the hot. Pick. And which of these people is young enough to have actually had lunch with everyone? Chalamet, right? And they yeah. love making stars. So I think we should just remember that, like Golden Globes, we all award shows are arbitrary, but the Golden Globes, because of the shadowy cabal, 
it's pure entertainment. And yeah. If someone that we like, frankly, wins, then we're happy about it because that puts them in the spotlight and puts them into consideration for other things, even though it's arbitrary. Yeah. But I, otherwise, I wouldn't read too much into any of it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about the first episode of Season 4 Black Mirror USS Callister and the first three episodes of Dark. Will Ari's romantic journey have a happy ending? I'm like I'm falling in love with you. Or will he be left brokenhearted? Hi, Bachelor Nation. This is Juliette Littman, the host of the Bachelor Party podcast. It used to pop up on Tuesdays, occasionally other days of the week, on the Channel 33 feed. But much like Ari coming off of Emily's season, he's coming out of the wilderness and heading out on his own. And so am I. Bachelor Party is getting its very own feed. Please subscribe. Again, it's the Bachelor Party podcast. It'll be every Tuesday. We'll be recapping the show. Ari is not known to many of you. He's kind of like pre-Bachelor Nation. But good news, I watched Emily's season. And in fact, it's what got me hooked. I was always rooting for Jeff with one but I have high hopes for Ari. I think it's going to be a good season, and I'm happy to be breaking out of this cycle of Instagram-ready celebrities. Ari, I'm on your side. At least I am for now until you mess up. So remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, or theringer.com slash bachelor hyphen party. The first episode is coming January 2nd, the day after the premiere. And I can't think of a better way to kick off 2018 than with some Bachelor Chatter. Come on, Bachelor Nation. Come with me on this journey. Subscribe. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's going to be a fun season. We're back. We're going to take a couple minutes here to talk about the first episode of the new season of Black Mirror, uh, USS Callister, which is the riff on Star Trek, mm-hmm. starring Jesse Plemons and uh, Christine Milotti. Mm-hmm. Um, and your boy, Jimmy Simpson. My boy, Jimmy Simpson. Shh. I'm very fond of Christine Milotti from her How I Met Your Mother days. And Fargo season two. And Fargo season two. Uh what did you think? I mean, big picture, I could talk a little bit about the rest of the season. I don't know if you've had a chance to catch any of the other episodes. I have not. And what this episode did for me was basically remind me of the enormous degree of difficulty that they've bitten off here and one that has only been put into brighter focus with the increased episode count. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason people don't do anthology shows in general, I mean, we call anthology shows, you know, like American Crime Story, American Horror Story, where they do a different story each season. Black Mirror does it every episode. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly hard to start something over again every single time and have a fresh take on it or invite people in and tell the whole story. I and think, not have a format where it's like Twilight yeah. Zone where it's just this is going to be 22 minutes and we'll be in and out. I think what Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones do is miraculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that the audience they've garnered for it. I love the cast that they get together for it. I love the production values that Netflix now pays for that are evident in episodes like this. But I got to tell you, I thought this episode was really disappointing. Despite okay. some funny moments and some good performances. Because what it did was remind me that on the keyboard Black Mirror plays on, there aren't that many notes. And this... Tell me what you mean by that. What I mean is I was really surprised. The episode starts off like gangbusters. It's fun. You know, you're in a different world. And what world is this? And who's, what perspective do we have? And blah, blah, blah. And plus, the, the Star Trek, the the... the the deep love and mockery of yeah. Star Trek is really right, felt. Riffs on it, yeah. Um, but otherwise, it was really recycling a lot of Black Mirror's greatest hits in a way that surprised me. And I kept waiting because often there are episodes like White Bear where maybe there's two, one, one or two too many twists. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for one more level to drop, and it just didn't. This episode took one of the central conceits of White Christmas that you could basically 
if you recreated yourself digitally, you would be a copy from the moment you were copied and you would not know the difference and you yeah, would feel right. trapped. So that idea, while truly horrific, has been in my mind ever since I saw it on White Christmas. Um, the idea of blackmailing someone through their cloud history sure. to do unthinkable things was shut up and dance. Right. Um, and then ultimately the takeaway that the sort of Gamergate bro nerd mentality is toxic and potentially sadistic. Yeah. I got that. I'm good with <laughs> yeah. that. I, I, I get it. Um, so I, I found the episode to be ultimately kind of disappointing because I want, this is, again, it's setting the bar incredibly high, Black Mirror, to be doing this over and over again and to try to do two things in every episode. Tell a compelling um, story that you're drawn into with characters you're suddenly interested in in a short amount of time, but then also fuck with your head. Also say something chilling about society. Not every episode's going to hit both, but this one kind of felt so mezzo-mezzo on both points to Which me. Which is why I, I kind of prefer the horror episodes of Black Mirror mm-hmm. to the damn, never thought about it that way, episodes of Black Mirror. <laughs> so <laughs> this season, it's Metalhead is the horror episode. It's directed by David Slade, who did a Chris the, Ryan classic, 30 Days of Night. That but, is in the canon. As well as many episodes, I think, of Hannibal and... Uh, Great TV director. Lots, lots of other stuff. Um, and that is a black and white post-apocalyptic horror movie yeah. that's just told in like 51 minutes. Um, Hang the DJ, like you're saying, like playing from the hymn book is a is a San Junipero mm-hmm. cover essentially, which mm-hmm. is, and and uh, I I enjoyed it, but didn't feel like I learned anything new about humanity or technology after watching it. But that made me think, you know, sometimes I feel like this show is judged particularly unfairly because yeah. of how prescient it was three, four, five years ago. Whenever we started talking about it, when it was still airing in England. Um, you know, it started off as this almost like this secret that you would share. Like, did mm-hmm. you hear about this British show, Black Mirror? You can watch like torrents and streams of it, but it's absolutely nuts. And then it kind of kept getting more and more popular. It moves to Netflix and then it started slightly Americanizing itself where I actually always thought that the strange look of near to late future England was sort of part of its charm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, that it was weird to have John Hamm in it, you know, and it mm-hmm. was weird to see Rosemary DeWitt in it. And uh, I do think that that changed a little bit. I had I, I really enjoyed watching USS Callister. Yeah, I think that it's it's a testament to what they have done. That if you end a Black Mirror episode and you're like, I have not this didn't f- either fuck me up enough mm-hmm. or it tried too hard to fuck me up. It's just you're reacting to the fact that it did do that in the past. Yes, exactly. The highs are so high, and the nature of the project is inconsistency. Yeah. There's no way they're going to please everyone every time, and nor do they try, which is to their credit. There was a headline zinging around the interwebs the other day about how I don't you know I only read headlines. I don't actually click through anymore. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of post content these days. Sorry. It's okay. It's just what I'm about. Yeah. But it was basically talking about how Charlie Brooker was about had a background in comedy and what a surprise, you know, because it's such a dark show. Well, yeah, first of all, that video. that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah. because it is in fact always been a very funny and like deeply British tone of satire. Yeah. Um what, can I, can but, I, quick digression. Yeah. Have you noticed that like I actually think it's really funny. Is it like the new thing to say about stuff? Like people say that a lot about Phantom Thread and they're right. Phantom Thread's always yeah. funny. But what do you think is the biggest heat check you could be like, actually, I think it's quite funny. Um, it's like people don't understand the level of humor in Sicario. <laughs> yeah, well, right. I think it's actually, it's it's almost balletic yeah. the way the, the repartee ping pongs between the characters. Um, I, I, would, I would love to see them go kind of in that direction mm-hmm. a little bit more because I am 
I'm officially the last person to say this as we've crossed over into 2018, but a lot of the last year did, quote unquote, say it, everyone at home, say it with me, felt like they we were living in a Black, Black Mirror, Mirror yeah. episode. And once you've become shorthand for reality, maybe it's time to shake it up a little bit. And that's no shots at the creators because they've been working on these episodes for quite some time and it, it can't be immediately reactive. Yeah. I have no doubt they will be able to to pivot. But just in terms of I think I think we're good on understanding some of the the perils of the technology we're deeply enmeshed with right now. Um, we're good, like we get it, and and so I'm I I'd like to see what can happen as they train their eye, maybe a broader, broader scope societally, um, because one of the greatest things about the show in all of its iterations have been the casual presence of technology. That's one of the smartest decisions, and this is through true sure. for all sci-fi, but like. It doesn't have to be the focus of the episode, but the tiny screen they're holding, the way the doorbell works in oh, Callister. Yeah. And even the, and the way it, that it's baked into each character, that yes. their relationship and dependency and the way that technology is practically, it is almost biotech in the fact that everybody always has headphones on. Everyone's always looking at their phone. Everyone's always, mm-hmm. everything is connected and li- linked up is just part of the show. It's not like, isn't it weird that we look at our phones so much? That's never actually like the takeaway. It's no, like, but there, but we're not far from that these days. You I know? do, I, but I do think that there. It's more about like because technology allows you to do something. Is it actually good for you to do it? And mm-hmm. that's Archangel does that a lot. Mm-hmm. I would say because you brought this up in the beginning that, and, and far be it for me to be like how he'd fix it or or whatever with Black Mirror because I I think it's actually one of those shows that is just almost underrated now because mm-hmm. we, we're kind of accustomed to it. But if they had done like a four-episode or five-episode season of just USS Callister and those beats had been played out and the mm. third episode is when we find out that Jesse Plemons is actually the bad guy mm-hmm. of this show, I think it would have been pretty awesome. Oh, I mean, there's no question that the level of... It's like the, the way that, that, that they burn story and burn opportunity and twist that in any other hands would be an entire season of television, or at the very least a movie, yeah. is staggering and must infuriate people who, who make TV I mean, for I, a yeah, because you could, you could make a movie out of Metalhead, too. Yeah, there, I think there, there are many of them that you could do that with. But I, I, I think from, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the, the next season, because this one, these two seasons, these last two seasons of eight episodes were um, conceived together and broken up for production reasons and mm-hmm. for release reasons. But... Remember at the Emmys, um, Sandra Napero won Emmys, won two Emmys. This is now a priority for Netflix if it wasn't before because mm-hmm. Netflix wants to win Emmys. And Charlie Brooker, because of who he is, is never going to just run to the popular thing and, and try to repeat himself. But I, I also think that he is not as crusty and miserable as some of the episodes would suggest. I think he loved doing that episode and curating the 80s playlist for sure. it. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm interested in the San Junipero-influenced episodes going forward. Hopefully not retreads, but a glimpse of technology that may not be all good or all bad, but is really more about... Well, you should check out Hang the DJ. Maybe we can talk about yeah, that Yeah, I can't one. wait. I'll all watch right. it tonight. Let's talk about another Netflix show, and it's one that we're going to talk about for the next couple of Thursday episodes, and that's Dark. Let's do Dark! So... On one hand, this is kind of random because it's this German show. Netflix has been doing a lot of international TV trawling and bringing up, you know, mm-hmm. see what they can find. Um, what's the uh, Sabura? Was that the Italian mafia show that you were reading the book of? Yeah, I read that book and I feel so gross. 
<laughs> the things that the people did in this book to each other with so, their bodies and the guns. They're, and the, they're an, it's a global television network. They're looking for stuff. but Original uh, language stuff from all of the major uh, regions of the world. They, they got one in, in, in Dark. And this and, is their first original language series in German. Right. And it's... Uh, Basically, it's directed by uh, Baron De Bo Odar, who directed uh, my uh, 43rd favorite movie of last year, Sleepless, starring Jamie Foxx, T.I., and Scoot McNary. No, he did not. Yeah, he did. You never mentioned the Sleepless Connection. I didn't know until recently, and I wow. wanted to drop it on you. You um, can tell quality when you see it. <laughs> exactly. Um, there are sometimes a show will come along. You know, the shows can be early, shows can be late in terms of where they feel in the zeitgeist. This show seems to have, if somebody was like, what has t- TV been about for the last few years? I'd be like, you could watch all these shows or you could just watch Dark. Because it <laughs> it has a lot of, whether it's visually stylistic hallmarks yeah. of what I think post, say, True Detective season one TV has looked like. Mm-hmm. And it also has a lot of the thematic and storytelling gimmickry going on that I think post-loss television has increasingly indulged in over the years. Yes. So I think it's a very useful show to watch. Mm-hmm. I find the show incredibly captivating in a way that is actually a really refreshing watch. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, I think that, you know, we you know, we love to say that we would go to it. It's like the characters are what matter. We kind of think about it the way writers would often talk about, well, I started with the characters. and mm-hmm. The characters matter here, mm-hmm. but what matters really is the architecture of the storytelling yes and the connections between all these characters across time and i don't know man i think actually the emotional impact of the show actually comes out of the narrative fireworks it's almost soap operatic in Mm -hmm. that way so it's it's kind of has like a different sensation it's it's for as dark as it is no pun intended it's actually quite an entertaining watch I think I'm glad we've divided this into segments because for me, it was the third episode that sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's that's also instructive for how TV works now because with, with Netflix, you can do that. You don't really have you, – you, you can just not worry about leaving too many breadcrumbs because you assume people just flow right into the next one. And then it takes to the third episode to realize the scope of what they're doing here in terms of time travel and in terms of – repetition in terms of characters interacting with each other's lives and this the weight of the sorrow that permeates this show really begins to become apparent and resonate with the viewer in the third episode in a way that I really appreciate it um I think that this in general one thing we've learned from whatever age of tv we're in now Mm -hmm. is that it is really hard to make tv and there are a lot of things that you have to do to get a passing grade from yeah. what has to be the most demanding audience in the history of the medium. And, and easily distracted. Easily distracted. And I think that speaks to your point, which is there are things that I could harp on that I was not sure about going into this. You know, um, the the level of detail lavished on some characters or particularly the lack thereof in the early going when mm-hmm. you don't know who these people are. The titular darkness which, frankly, there's only one how I'd fix it for the show, which is that I kind of wish at one point Lil Rel Howery would show up, like at the end of Good Get Out, and just... Are you, are you doing Hollywood Fixer for Dark? You're and like, just riff. Does it have to be so dark? That's, are we sure it has I, to be dark? I just want Lil Rel to show up and just, just comment for like a minute. Okay. Just like on all the dead birds. Yeah. You know, and then walk away. Right. 
I kind of need that. Just like just you know a little squeeze of acid on the on the entree, you know, to lighten the palate just a little bit. But the things that the show does well are it does so well. Yes, and you named it. I. We, we will talk a lot, I'm sure, about just the, the artful construction of something. I mean, time travel is the hardest thing to um, design. Yes, and it also weirdly has so many amateur experts about time travel <laughs> yeah. that yeah. I would never touch it with a 10-foot pole if yeah. I was writing something where I was just like, yeah, what if we had time travel? It's like, do you know how many people out there saw Primer once and think that they understand the rules of like astral physics better than you do? Yeah. It's crazy. And it's like, but they actually, you know, look, they do just enough things here that are kind of like, eh, let's have a guy in a hood wandering around the forest. Mm-hmm. And like, we don't have to explain this yet because mm-hmm. that'll give it enough menace and mystery mm-hmm. that maybe we can kick the can down the road about how this all actually works. Yes. Well, also, I, I would say that time travel really. Writing, doing a story with time travel really is setting yourself up to fail because if you get any of the other components wrong, not the astrophysics, mm-hmm. but the I don't actually care about that person stuck in time, then then you start pulling the threads. Yeah. And this show artfully avoids that by giving us the pathos and then linking it to other characters and even linking it to new characters who are, in fact, younger versions of characters we've already met. Right. The other thing I wanted to say to call out before we delve into the specifics that I really admire about the show is the production production design and the vibe mm-hmm. is just outstanding. Yeah, and it's, it, it's set in this town of Winden, which is this small town in Germany in the sort of forest region where it rains seemingly 23. How do you feel, how do you think their local tourist board feels about this show? I don't know, but let me tell you this. I need to know what kind of boutiques these guys are hitting because <laughs> everybody is draped up in yeah. the finest of Patagonia. Oh, But like real. the Audi version of Patagonia, yeah. so it's just like really cool apparently very warm but water resistant yeah. parkas these guys look fucking great drenched yeah they do yeah and by the way the windshield wipers on those audis that they've got in the small towns just just cutting through the rain Yo, can you really have audis like that on a german police detective that's what salary? i was wondering is that just normal over there or yeah that's what i'm saying is that do they just like hand out is, audis when you turn 40 like yo you, you earned it you man. earned it yeah. like this is this is what socialists <laughs> if so <laughs> das watch <laughs> the new das ringer podcast <laughs> we are ready Achtung, let's yeah. do it um I, the rain i mean it we could joke about it but we can also say like th- there is a moment that the show get, and it's Highly, highly designed and curated. Yeah, just show. like it was in the Everything. killing, but instead of but, having nine minutes of people smoking or no, whatever in the killing, yeah. But but it finds time. I mean, these guys. It seems. Look, let's put it. Let's be honest. This is actually going to revoke our citizenship request. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It, it lasted the German version. I'm going to wait. <laughs> lasted thirty seconds. Yeah. It's super Germanic. Like this show is designed to a T, but it still finds time for aesthetic moments, like when young. Um, I, there are too many characters, man. I, I got but them all memorized, though. What, Let me what, know. The, the guy, the kid, the main kid, Lucas Jonas? or Jonas? Yeah, yeah. Jonas is the homie, and then Mickle is the one who's who bats. Mickle. Mickle. I got. When, uh, I sent Andy an an emoji of a panda just shouting Mickle. And frankly, I almost ended the podcast. <laughs> Like that was just that was one too far. It was like a, it was like it was like some blinged out unicorn with Chris's voice. Yeah. So I'm like I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Um, what if that's he, like the Black Mirror version of this podcast is just an emojis shouting Mickle at each other? Look, there are people in the office right now just scheming. <laughs> Me on the, undies. The, the social media team love this. There's a scene when Jonas is lying back in episode two, 
in his room looking up at the ceiling when the lights are flickering and the rain is falling on it. And it gave me immediately that kind of um, weird deja vu feeling of when you're young and the rain is falling in your house and you feel both completely isolated, but also very much like a part of whatever's happening. There's a there's a youthful feeling. This is it's, not, it's no accident the characters we're responding so strongly to the show and the characters are either 16 or 40. It's a great point. Yeah. It's a great point. Look, <laughs> this is the art house Stranger Things. Yes. You know, yeah. there is no question about that. It is it's going back to the 80s. It has a few uh era um uh, affectations, you know. The the candy commercials in Germany from the eighties seem just as delightful. There's as the also ones from a here. small town boredom that happens of mm-hmm. just like, do you want to smoke pot? Do you want to play video games? Do we walk through this forest or down? The, I mean, like for real, people of Germany, figure out some safe pathways <laughs> for your children to walk through a forest or like like who? Okay, you have kids. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are the chances that you would ever be like, feel free to take the forest route to school by yourself? Listen, I, one thing Does, that I, Do children's folktales tell us nothing about the dangers of going through a forest? The jury is still out on nature versus nurture, but one thing I know about children that were birthed from my DNA is that forest play is never, <laughs> never going to be an issue. Let's go back to my favorite moment of the show when a... Only child sat alone in his room. I'm like, yeah, that moment was real resonant yeah. and dope. Right. There's nothing about the rest of the show where I'm like, let's ride bikes. No. Um, I think the di- big difference between no. this and Stranger Things is that Stranger Things actually has, uh, I would say, pretty sus mythology undergirding it, like in terms of the upside down or sure. whatever the, the, the dark part of that the show is. And its entire charm is based on having a murderer's row of kids who are just like super charming that you want to spend time with who perfectly get the sort of patter that happens between teenagers. Mm -hmm. This show actually has a bunch of super like stoic Germanic people. Mm -hmm. I, you can't pick them out of a lineup. I only can because like, I'm just so into the show and I'm like, that's Ulrich and that's, yeah, I get it now. Yeah, But they don't, we don't need to know that much about, these people we're learning as the show goes on and we get the flashbacks but like the difference between bartos and Jonas is not as important by the way bartos is a <laughs> cool cool ass name that i really i'm super into the kid being named bartos i mean look call, call, maybe maybe it's, are we it's, selling the show maybe it's trifling. zach do you are you more or less interested in the show based on this discussion thumbs he, up he, here's let's go let, let's talk specifically about the third episode um because for me that's when everything yeah. flipped and the third episode is when it suddenly switches um goes back in time 33 years yeah and this one's called past and present yeah and one thing that i think is important to note purely from like a we've been watching tv for a while and from a structural level is that an enormous amount of television from the last decade, particularly British television, has been about the the search for a missing child, or a missing or missing teenage girl, mm-hmm. um, or a de- presumably dead girl, or a, a dead child, and the reaction of what you know among the, the community and how that happened. Yeah. Broadchurch. We talked about the the, the bad killing. news relay, where there's always yes. that point in the first episode where everybody's like, somebody finds out and they're crying, and they run to the next person, and they start crying. Which originated with Twin Peaks, and then yeah. has has been sort of watered down since. What I really appreciated about the show in the third episode is you realize, no, this isn't that. We are going to spend time with the missing kid. Mm-hmm. And that is deeply disconcerting and disorienting. We are not used to that experience. And all of a sudden it becomes something else. And because this is a German show and not Stranger Things, it's not the Spielberg version. When Mikkel shows up in 1986, he is not 11. Yeah. He is not like a magic child who just wants to find a, a walkie-talkie buddy. He is gone. Yeah. And in the wrong place. And his parents aren't his parents. And that 
the emotional strings that you don't really realize are being played in the first two episodes are suddenly are thrumming, man. It's happening. Yeah. And that feeling of dislocation, that feeling of being trapped in an inevitability that we all are in, really, really resonated. And I think that, you know, it, you, we, could, we could talk about it. Maybe we already have been making jokes about a traditional Germanic reserve. But the reserve is played very well in the show. It yes. holds back until it needs it. So that when you first see... Uh, the character who I'm not I'm not even gonna try with names who's the detective picking up the birds as an adult Charlotte? in the second episode. Man, you're really honest. Charlotte's my favorite. Charlotte and uh, Ellie. Damn. Yeah, damn. We picking up the birds. Her deaf daughter with, with a little yeah. like music playing. I'm like, well, this is just you know, it looks cool, mm-hmm. which it was fine because it looks cool and I'm in. When we see her doing it again as a child, it adds resonance. Yeah, and I appreciate a show that picks up steam as it goes along. Well, you and I both respond to shows that uh, use place as character. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked a lot, I, I think I talked a lot about how Narcos Season 3 did a really good job of, I mean, it's always done a good job of distracting you from some of the more ridiculous parts of the show by just its immersion in a place. And you watch this show, which is set in this small town that the entire town is not only literally powered by, but is overpowered by the presence of this nuclear plant that has some kind of secret mm-hmm. deep side and deep inside of it, in which we are waiting to find out exactly what it is. And you really do get the the case, you get the sense that these people have been living or trapped in this place mm-hmm. their entire lives, and that they're inexorably drawn to one another. Yet, you know, some of the most effective moments are when some of the characters are just like, "I just want to get out of this bullshit town," and we realize they haven't. Or yeah, they can't. And it's like, do well, you, I have an Audi. Do you, I can go from zero to sixty kilometers, <laughs> but I'm only ever going to go five. <laughs> yeah, and two two things to end on. One, I'm in on Narco season four. I know you are. I know you the are. God I'm Diego what, Luna. We're, we're are gonna, you kidding we're, me? And per, and. And Pena? Yeah, pa- Pena's in the building. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, that just filed that away okay. for future usage. Two, one thing to, to track as we go through this season and as we watch TV for the rest of the year is to think about the ways that this has become a global conversation. And for a long time, uh, the TV business really was an American business. Mm-hmm. We were exporting shows around the world, and maybe they would be adapted to local markets. But our tastes were generally driven from things that were created here. Then we went into an era where um, British shows or other shows would be adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, Homeland was an Israeli this show. This will be adapted. The Office was obviously adapted. Yeah. Um, there was The Returned, which was a really cool atmospheric French show that became a kind of a pointless American show right. on, on A&E. Um, now we're having some of the things we're putting out. Not only now do we have an, an appetite for foreign shows in their original language or British shows just being shown, like we were talking about Black Mirror, which is actually becoming kind of a hybrid production at sure. this point. But, Much to my chagrin. But now we've put things out into the world for so long, be it Lost or Stranger Things, and now the world is, is echoing them back to us in their own way. Absolutely. Which is really fascinating. And to your point, this won't be remade because this is a Netflix global show. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, so and, then they, and they've already greenlit a second season. So it's fascinating to see no the, the yeah. way the things that we're putting out are coming back to us and maybe what they have to say about our own, the types of shows that we want to make and then how that filters through different countries. So for us, I mean, Stranger Things, I, I, don't, I think critics and fans alike yeah. would call it an exercise in, this, in a certain kind of nostalgia. We talked about, um, when we were covering season two, that there was a kind of a pro-American innocence to the 80s that the show... I don't want to make it political, but there's a, a yearning and a missing for the simplicity of it. Good guys, bad yeah, guys, of course. upside and that down. That was exactly also like the entire, uh, from what I understand, 
as being a seven-year-old when it happened. But the, the appeal of the Reagan era yes. was telling these older voters we can go back to the Truman era or whatever. Now you do a, a show from Germany that's, that, that is looking backwards to the 80s. And very, very intentionally, Chernobyl is mentioned frequently. Mm-hmm. Chernobyl was not an abstract. If you're in Germany, it's not so far away. Right. And if you were uh, living and, in a town with a nuclear power plant, it probably loomed over every year of your life. And if you're living in a country that is only, you know, it, even then just a four decades removed from catastrophic war and bombing and still split in half. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to look backwards? And so th- I think the show operates on a number of levels. Obviously, we're covering it because it's super fun. Yeah. There, um, I mean, like, I think you and I are responding to it because there's an element of supernatural stuff to it, but there's also an element of a kind of midlife crisis, like malaise of you feeling like you're repeating the sins and the re- mistakes of the past. It's like over twice over a week again. in a podcast studio. <laughs> I get it. Oh, I feel it. Oh, Vidashen. Uh, so who are you riding for? So Charlotte's your favorite character? I really like Charlotte. I'm kind of, I'm kind of into Jonas, man. Yeah? Yeah. I'm about that Bartos life. You like Bartos? Bartos has bars. <laughs> when is Bartos' mixtape coming out? You know Bartos has a grime tape. He has a bag of drugs. Yes. That looks, like, no judgment, but that looks like he could just, <laughs> he, he, he could basically form Odd Future. You know what I mean? Like that dude could just be... Making tapes. That guy has Brockhampton living in his house. That yeah. guy could revolutionize yeah. culture in Germany with that bag. So um, I can't wait to revolutionize culture in Germany with you next week. We'll be talking about the Globes, uh, reviewing that on Monday. And then we will uh, jump on dark episodes four, five, and six, which are good ones. And we've got The Shy to talk about mm-hmm. coming up soon. We've got the Versace show coming up. Um, it's a good time. Yeah, man. I'm so excited to be in 2018 with you. Happy New Year, Branskis. Bye.